0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. to Acts chapter 27, if you don't mind. Well, you're wondering, wow, it seems like we've been in Acts a long time. Well, you'd be right. This is the 36th sermon in the book of Acts and it just happens to be our last one. We're going to wrap it up today. I was uh, looking through all my notes uh, as we've walked through this. I've got 75 pages of notes that I've taken as we've walked through this uh, book together. Uh, Hopefully... uh, I'll be able to keep those around for future opportunities to speak out of this book. Acts chapter 27, while you're finding your place, um, also I want you to go ahead and find 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you don't mind. We're actually going to start there, 2 Corinthians 11, then we'll be in Acts 27. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to start there, and then we're going to go over to Acts 27. And you're looking at Acts 27 and you're looking at Acts 28 and thinking, how in the world is he going to wrap this thing up today? I see a whole lot of verses here. Well, trust me, we're going to we're going to land the plane today. And uh, we're going to deal with uh, Paul in these last moments of his life uh, as he's on his way to Rome. But I want you to first see 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And what you're going to see here is all of the things that Luke did not include in his narrative in the book of Acts. We know that the book of Acts didn't cover every single detail. We know that there was a lot that happened to Peter and James and John and, of course, the apostle Paul that we don't know about. Well, Paul gives us a little bit of insight in here as he's recounting some of the things that he endured. And I want you to see this. So starting at verse 21 in chapter 11, I want you to see what Luke did not include in his narrative. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also, dare to boast of that now, let me give you some context. Paul has been confronted over and over again by the Jewish leaders, and they keep talking about their background, their history their their um, keeping of the law and they're they're boasting in all of the things that they've done for God, and we know that Jesus when he spoke to the Pharisees, he called them out about this, that, that the Pharisees had this tendency of, of wanting to pray in front of people or be seen in front of people simply to be applauded by people. Paul is dealing with some of the same things in the second letter to the church at Corinth. So he says, look, let me give you the rundown as what God has done in my life and some of the things that I've had to endure in following Jesus. He says here, verse 22, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. We've heard Paul say this multiple times in his testimony, that he would say that he is is a a Jew of Jews. He is a a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. He, He knows his background, and it's not that he hates Judaism. It's just that he has found that Jesus is the Messiah that has been promised by the prophets. He says, are they servants of Christ? Well, I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. Now, Paul here is not some kind of... We know Paul to not be a guy who brags. But what he's doing here is he's making a point. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. Notice that. Paul says that he was beaten so many times that he lost count of it. Now, we've seen it several times as we've walked through the book of Acts. But obviously, there were more beatings than, than what Luke... Records in the book of Acts, he says he's been beaten countless times, often near death. Now we know, we know of at least a couple of occurrences where Paul was almost beat to death. But here he says not only was he beaten so many times he lost count, but among those times there were many times that he almost lost his life. Verse twenty-four: Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes. Did you get that? Forty lashes, five separate occasions. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. This particular phrase I want to draw your attention to, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. Now, when Paul wrote the letter to the church at Corinth, this second letter, it was right around the time that he was in Ephesus. So if you back up in the Acts timeline, it was right around when we were talking about in Acts 19 when Paul was in Ephesus. We believe that Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth while he was in Ephesus. So if you back up into the timeline of Acts, that right, what would have been right about the time we were in chapter 19. So Paul wrote this account of all the things that had happened to him before before he went to Jerusalem and was condemned and then told that he was going to have to go to Rome because Paul appealed to Caesar. So that all of this has occurred before he went to Jerusalem that final time. Verse 26, on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from the other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety. Notice that. If you've ever struggled with an anxiety, Paul says here that he has struggled with anxiety. Anxious because he's wondering how all the churches are doing, how they're continuing to bear up under the persecution, and, and are they staying true to doctrine? Are they, they, are they staying true to following Jesus. Can I, can I offer to you at this particular moment, both online and both here in the building, there's been several times of anxiety over these last several months of dealing with this nightmare of COVID-19 because I've had some of the same concerns that Paul has. How are our people doing? Are they following Jesus out there? Are they bringing Jesus up? Uh, do they have what they need? Paul, being a church planter, but also a good shepherd, he says, I was anxious about how the, church were do, how the churches were doing. He said, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. The God and Father of Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Paul says here that he went through shipwrecks, he went through beatings, that he lost count. Luke doesn't record all of that in the book of Acts. Now go back to Acts 27. So after all that Paul has experienced, after everything I just read, and of course more has happened since Paul wrote that letter to the church at Corinth, he was almost beaten to death by the Romans in Jerusalem. If Paul hadn't have said that he was a Roman citizen, he would have experienced the same exact beating that Jesus received at the end of a cat of nine tails if he had not appealed to his Roman citizenship, they would have probably beaten him to death right there in Rome. So, after all that Paul has experienced, doesn't Paul deserve, I don't know, some easy going for a while? I mean, he's got to go to Rome. He's got to go face Caesar. We've already found out that the charges against him are false. He's not done anything wrong. So now Paul's going to be put on a ship and he's going to be shipped off to Rome. Wouldn't it be nice to have a little cruise across the Mediterranean? Wouldn't it be nice for Paul just to relax? You know, he's, he's got a guard that's looking after him who's actually kind of taking care of Paul. He's making sure that he's fed. He's making sure that he has access to his friends. I mean, it'd be nice for Paul to just be able to kick back on this cruise to Rome, knowing that what he's going to face in Rome is going to be imprisonment. He knows that. But wouldn't it be nice just to be able to have a nice, relaxing cruise? Well, it would be nice, but it doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, Luke devotes quite a bit of time to this particular narrative. As a matter of fact, this is one of the longest longest narratives in the New Testament other than the Gospel accounts. Now we have to ask the question, why would Luke, out of all the other, all the other shipwrecks that Paul had, that, that Luke didn't write about, and all the other beatings that Luke didn't write about, and all the other stonings that Luke didn't write about, why is it that here at the end of the book of Acts, Luke would spend so much time and so much emphasis On this shipwreck that Paul is going to endure? Well, that's the question we want to ask today. And that's what we want to try to take a look at in this text. Jesus calmed the storms, he delivered the sick, raised the dead. Paul has healed the sick. He's even raised the dead. But why can't God in this moment, why can't God step in and say, No, Paul, I'm going to give you a nice, easy trip back to Rome? After
1: all that he's already endured. Why is it that? that God doesn't always calm your storms. We have been in a storm now for months. I'm not just talking about COVID-19.
0: I'm not just talking about our building situation. I'm not talking about hurricanes or any of that. Our country is in a storm right now. And it's intensifying as we get closer to, you know what's coming this week? I think there's an election or something happening this week. You may have heard something about it. Uh, some of you knows already voted and, and did your thing there, and there's a lot of anxiety about what's going to happen after.
1: I walked in field and stream, store up in Fayetteville. It's been a few weeks ago now. I walked back there and
0: um, you know, I like to shoot, and I like to uh, participate in that sport, and I walked back on that end just to see what's out. And, the whole store was empty. There was no guns. There was no ammo. I mean, it was just a few boxes. The whole place was just decimated. And I asked the the guy. Of course, I knew a little bit about what was going on. And I asked him, well, "Have maybe ever seen this before?" And he said, "I've never seen it like this before." I said, "What do you think's driving it?" And he said, "Fear.
1: Fear of what this election holds. Fear of what's going to happen afterwards." And we're in a storm right now. We're in a storm.
0: Why does God allow these storms? Not just on a, on a country scale, right? But individually. Some of you are going through some storms right now. Some of you are right in the middle of a storm. You can't see the edges of it either, can you? And there's a lot of thunder and a lot of lightning and a lot of anxiety and a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And in the middle of our storms, we tend to ask, God, why am I here? And then we'll take it even a step further. and God, I've done all this for you. I've done these things for you and I've, I've been faithful to these things. But, but yet, Father, I find myself in a storm and I have to wonder why. And Paul... After all that he's been through, I can't help but wonder why in the world couldn't have God given him a nice little safe voyage across the Mediterranean where he's got his feet up, knowing that he's going to be in prison when he gets to Rome. And we also know the end of the story, that Paul's life is going to be poured out. His life is going to be taken. We know all of that. Paul assumes that that's going to happen. Why not? Why not just an easy cruise? Well, I want you to notice that Paul has been faithful everywhere he's been, whether it was in a synagogue in front of Jews, whether it was in the Oropagus in front of philosophers, whether it was out on the countryside road somewhere, he's been faithful with the gospel every step of the way. Whether he's been beaten or whether he's had everything he's needed, he has been faithful with the gospel, and now in this storm, what we're going to find is that Paul, yet again, even though he deserves much better, can we just say that? That Paul deserves much better. When I get to heaven, I want to sit down with this man. I want to sit down with this man. Yes, I want to, I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to spend a lot of time with Jesus, but I'd say that second person I want to talk to would be Paul because I want to know about all this stuff. I want to hear the stories. I want, to, I want to hear as he's writing these letters to the churches. I want to walk with him. Why do I want to walk with him? Why do I want to hear from him? Why do I want to sit with Paul for a while? Because of the sheer tenacity and endurance I see in this man.
1: And when I look at his life, I realize how far, 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 far I am from it. This gospel that he's been faithful to. He's going to be faithful on this ship as it's sinking.
0: You see, Paul's going to be put in a situation where he's on a boat full of what we would consider unchurched people. These are people who do not know Paul's God, do not know Paul's Messiah. They are rough cut, rough folks. There's 276 people on this ship. I don't know how many of them are prisoners, but a lot of them are. These are rough folks. And Paul is going to be placed in a situation in the middle of a storm. And instead of well, instead of whining and complaining and giving up hope, he's the only guy with hope. How is that? How does that happen? You spend more time out there than you do here. You spend more time out there with folks who are far from Christ than you do here, or with people who are close to Christ. And when the storm blows, and we're in the middle of it, and there are unbelievers all around us wanting to know why it is we have hope. You need to be the one that gives it to them. Notice what happens here. Let's start out in chapter 27. It says here in verse 1, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to the centurion Augustine, a cohort named Julius, and embarking in a ship called the Adramatum which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, the Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon. Sidon was 69 miles north of Caesarea. This was a port city. Paul is put on a ship there, and they're going to start out on their journey. Now, I want you to notice something, that Adremidum right there. You see that port that they're leaving out of. You know what that word means, Adremidum? I shall abide in death. Now, get this. Paul is boarding a ship at a port that has, that has been named, I shall abide in death. This doesn't sound like it's
1: starting out too good. Paul, you might want to rethink this. He boards this ship, and almost immediately the wind begins
0: to blow. Isn't that a way a lot of your life has been? You start out thinking everything's going to be okay. You think everything's going to be fine. And what you hoped would be a vacation, what you hoped would be some time off, what you hoped would be a good set of circumstances, almost immediately begins to turn into a huge problem. They begin to sail. They head towards Cyprus, and the the goal is is to, to sail to the south of that island and let the island kind of break the wind up for them a little bit because they're already getting some contrary winds. So they, they make it from the shores of basically Sidon, right along where Jerusalem, uh, Judea, all of that is. They, they, they head west. They get to the southern part of the island of Cyprus, and they kind of hide behind that island to try to get out of the wind, and it's good for a while. Then they kind of turn north. They head up towards the coastline of Asia Minor, and then they kind of get some break from the wind there. Then they turn back down south, and they're heading for Crete. Now, again, the idea is is if they can get to Crete and get on the south side of Crete and get out of the wind a little bit, they should be able to make a straight shot right over into Rome. Well, they get down to Cyprus, and there's a little port there called Fair Havens. It was anything but fair. The wind is still contrary. And Paul, they they, they kind of port there, and Paul says, Guys, I think we really need to consider what we're about to do here. Look at verse 9. He says, Much time had passed. And the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast, that means the fast in Jerusalem, was already over. What that means is they're getting into the stormy season in the Mediterranean. They're getting into a season of time where it is dangerous to to travel by sea. And it would be better if they would just kind of stay where they are, kind of hunker down for the winter, and then pick it back up when the weather gets better. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only the cargo, but the ship also. So here's Paul, and, and Paul can speak with some authority here, because Paul has already been shipwrecked. He knows what it's like to be out in the sea, and he's learned some things as he's traveled, and he's, he's trying to say to these guys, we, we might need to stop, and we might need to just wait. So the pilot of the ship and the leader of Uh, the ones on board, says, you know what we we need to do? We just need to make it to Phoenix. Phoenix was on the western end of the island of Crete. If we could just get to Phoenix, they have a better port there. We'll port there and everything will be good. And Paul's like, this is a bad
1: idea. Well, you know what they do? They start sailing. They're trying to make it to Phoenix. Phoenix was only about 50 miles away.
0: But that 50-mile journey turned into a disaster. Look what happens in verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, when they started out, the wind wasn't so bad. They're thinking, hey, this is, this is going to be fine. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the northeast, northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it. I want you to see that. With all of their expertise, with all of their ability to to navigate the seas, when it came right down to it, the wind of the storm was too much. They couldn't handle it. So what it means when they gave way, it simply means that they, they stopped trying to fight against the wind and they just let the boat go adrift. And they're being blown further south, and they're trying to make it
1: west and north, and there's nothing they can do. Look at verse 20. Well, look at verse 19. And on the third day,
0: they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Get this picture. They're they're throwing over their goods and supplies over the edge of the ship. This was a a ship, a very large ship for its day. And on that ship, there would have been all kinds of goods that would have been traveling from from wherever it was coming from to Rome to sail. They're chunking it overboard. Isn't it amazing when you get in the middle of a storm and the, and the clouds are swirling and the lightning's flashing and you can't see the edges of it? Isn't it amazing how quick people will throw aside all the stuff that they thought was important? Isn't it amazing that when, when you can't see the edge of that storm and you're in the middle of it, nothing else matters in that moment but survival,
1: right? That nice new car, climbing the corporate ladder. It's amazing what a storm can do. A storm can bring bring great perspective and it can
0: make us focus on what's really important. Verse 20, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, look at this, all
1: hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All hope has been lost. I wonder if some of the people who went to Field and Stream over the last few months to
0: stock up, I wonder how they feel. I wonder if they feel that all hope is lost. Oh, I wonder if some of the people you work with, you've been online, you haven't had to do this online thing now, you haven't been able to see each other, but, but when you're on that Zoom and you're looking at everybody's faces, you're wondering if, if people have lost hope. Now, I'll tell you that a lot of folks have their hope wrapped up in this next election. Now, whoever it is you're voting for and whoever it is you're supporting, can I just say to you that whoever wins, your hope can't be found there. You're going to be disappointed if it is, regardless. Regardless, if your person wins and they leave for the next four years, well, the hope that you're looking for can't be found in a political party. The hope that you desperately need in your heart doesn't
1: come from humanity. And whoever's elected is not going to pull you out of the storm that you're in. And what is needed in this day and age in which we live is is hope.
0: A lot of people are living hopeless lives. Did you know that during COVID-19, through this shutdown and everything that's happened since March, did you know that depression right now is through the roof? Did you know that suicides are spiking? Did you know that People who are who struggle with being alone and being isolated and being safe, do you know that they're contemplating things that they've never contemplated in their life? Did you know that the ages, between the ages of 14 and 25 right now, more people have considered suicide for the first time in their life over the last six, eight months than any other
1: time in their life? Why do you think that is? It's because they've given up on hope. Paul is on a ship full of people who have no hope. They've all resorted to saying it's over. They've been without food for quite some time.
0: And then Paul stood up among them. Can I just say to you and can I plead to you and can I, can I just beg you for just a moment that, that you, an agent of hope, the one who's experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who sees all of this, the election, where our country is, where our world is, you see it from a biblical worldview, so therefore you have hope because you know, you know who has the final say in all of this. Can I just offer to you that it's time for the agents of hope to stand up Stand up out of the complaining. Stand up out of the whining. Stand up and be the agent of hope. Share the hope that you found because this world desperately needs to hear from you. Paul stood up. He stood up right when they needed him to. Look what he says. Men, I can't help but laugh about this. Men, you should listen to me. Yeah, that's kind of how I told you so moment. Let's just, just call it what it is. Paul said, you guys should have listened to me. We could, be, we could be at Fair Havens right now, chilling. But no, you had to sell. But hey, no need to beat that drum. We're already here. He said, you should have listened to me before we set sail for Creed and incurred this injury and loss. Verse 22, yet now, yet now, I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. The only
1: one on the ship, by the way. 276 people. One who has his faith in God. He says,
0: God will have it exactly as I have told you, verse 26. However, we must run aground, and, yeah, we're going to lose the ship and, yeah, we're going to sink, but nobody's going to be lost here. I've already been told that. God had an ordained purpose for Paul, and that was for Paul to go to Rome. Nothing was going to prevent that. So those agents of hope, Paul, the only one on a ship of 276 people, He's the only one who stepped forward with any kind of plan. He's the only one that stepped forward and said, we're going to get out of this. He's the only one that stepped forward. And he's the only one that could have stepped forward because he's the only one that has the perspective that Paul has. He's the only one that could have made the difference with the others. He's the only one that could have stepped forward and said, there's hope here. How could there be hope? We're in the middle of the storm. The ship is breaking apart. We've thrown over all of our goods. The only thing left to throw over is the food, which in a little while they'll start throwing over. How could there be hope? It only takes one person with hope. It only takes one person to step forward in a group of 200 people and say, all hope is not lost. You might say, well, I haven't had a vision like Paul has. I haven't had a vision. Yeah, you have. Not like Paul has, but you've got a vision, don't you? Right here. All that you need to know about God. All that you need to know about is faithfulness. All that you need to know about is gospel. All that you need to know about what God does in hopeless situations, you've got you've got a word from God. You've got all that you need to be that person who steps far with incredible hope and say, you know what, there's another perspective to see this.
1: There's another way to look at this. Paul says, I'm going to Rome because of God's good grace and God's good mercy,
0: he's going to prevent any of you from dying. You get to go with me. Because God said not one of you
1: are going to perish in this storm. Verse 25 says, It will be exactly as I have been told,
0: exactly of what God has said to me in his word. Exactly what God says about this world. Exactly what God says about the fall. Exactly what God says about there only being one path to salvation. God has spoken, and it is exactly as he said. So I'm just going to commun- com- com- uh, communicate to you what
1: God has communicated to me and tell you that there is incredible hope here, if you know where to look. Paul Is fighting for himself and for those other 276 people on board.
0: They're in the middle of a storm. Look at verse 27. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors sailors suspected they were nearing land. So they began to check the depth of the water, and Luke kind of gives us a little bit of insight. I don't think Luke knew what he was seeing when they were doing this, but they're trying to test the depth of the water so they didn't run aground. And here's Paul, the only hope agent on the entire boat. But I want you to notice what else Paul does in all of this. That Paul, in all of this storm and all that's going on, is Paul makes sure
1: that he provides clear testimony of who's going to provide for their rescue. You see, the storm they're in is bigger than all of them.
0: It doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter how much seafaring experience they've got. It doesn't matter how strong the ship is. There's one point that they, they take the ship and they put ropes around the hull of the ship just to try to hold the ship together. They're doing everything that they possibly can. But Paul makes sure they understand that it will be God that delivers. It's not going to be because Paul's a great leader. It's going to be because God intervened and has already told Paul that he's going to intervene. So Paul provides that clear testimony. Of who's in charge? Verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food. These guys have been working and working and working and working. They haven't been eating anything. Paul's got enough sense to know that, that if they don't eat, there's no way they're going to be able to continue to do what they need to do.
1: Paul says to them, Therefore, I urge you
0: take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all. So Paul not only is an agent of hope and not only is he giving clear testimony to the reality that God is in charge here,
1: he's giving thanks in the middle of a storm that's posed to kill them all? Is that how we often respond in the middle of a storm? Sadly, there's been times I haven't responded that way. They're right in the middle of it. There's worship
0: breaks out. You can see these people huddled on the ship, right? The rain is coming down. I mean, that ship is being tossed around like a cork. And what does Paul do? Paul says, guys, we need to eat. But before we do, let me me give thanks to God who's going to protect us and bring us through this thing. Let me give him
1: thanks and let me worship him, right? in the middle of this disaster. And Paul breaks bread, hands it to the other prisoners, leaders, and there's a moment
0: there where that clear testimony of Paul, just like he's done all throughout his life since he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul interjects God into the equation, interjects God into the moment interjects God in the middle of the storm, brings up God, the one that all hope flows from, brings that up, focuses their attention. I would imagine that in all the chaos and all that's going on in this ship, right here in this moment, there's a silence and a hush that falls across that crowd because they've already heard that Paul said, look, I've already heard from God. We're all coming
1: through this. So eat some food. Let's rejoice in this worship. The ones who are on that ship who
0: don't even know the name of God, don't even know the God that Paul teaches, have now been introduced to him. And you can make no mistake about it, when God brings these people through this storm, what's going to be on their mind when they get off that ship? What's going to be on their mind when they finally make it to the shore of Malta? You know what's going to be on their mind? That Paul's God is real. That our deepest, darkest moment Paul's God intervened. Paul's God made a promise, and he kept that promise. Final thing I want you to see in Paul's life, that he's been consistent through all the way through. Luke indicates all through chapter 27 that Paul was engaging in the work right alongside the other prisoners. When there was things being tossed overside, Luke indicates that Paul was engaged. Luke, by the way, is with him. Luke is with him on this journey. So, Luke is watching all of this and, and recording all of this and even helping himself. And, and they're throwing things over. And so, Luke, uh, Luke and Paul are right there working shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, serving among these people just like anyone else is serving. And what we find in Paul's life is this servant leadership that we find so often in his life, serving the lowest of the low for the point of having an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Jump over to chapter 28. The, Of course, the shipwrecks, everyone makes it to shore safely. Everyone is spared. Not a single person dies on this ship, just as God said would happen. All were brought safely to land, verse 44. Look at chapter 28. Now for we were brought safely, we learned that we were on the island called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. Now, that just seems like a little extra thing that Luke throws in here to kind of let us know what's happening on the island of Malta. But I find it very interesting. If Paul's been beaten the way he's been beaten, and he's been treated the way he's been treated, and now he's been up for days on end with these people trying to keep this boat together, he's exhausted, he's tired. When does he finally get to take a rest? Well, apparently it's not on Malta. Because on Malta, what do we find Paul doing? The same thing everybody else was doing. They were cold. They needed a fire. And what is Paul doing? He's gathering sticks just like everyone else. And that that may seem like just a little passing thing. But here's what I see in Paul's life. Consistently, he is serving right alongside the people he's trying to reach after he's just come through a storm, after he's been beaten and battered, after he's been soaked in the rain for over 14 days on this ship. And by the way, he was the one that said, don't sail. But instead of gloating, instead of trying to be served, Paul is serving right alongside those that he spent all this time with. And you know what that does? It makes people look at you and go,
1: wow, he's he's with us. He, he, He does care about us. Instead of Paul kicking his feet up and letting everybody else
0: serve him, Paul works just as hard as everyone else. Jesus said that he that he came to serve, to not be served. You know when he modeled that in John chapter 13, when he's washing the feet of the disciples, and he said to them, let this be an example to you of what I expect you to do in the New Testament church. Well, well, Jesus didn't say that he expected us to serve people only when we've got fair weather sailing, when everything is perfect. But Jesus didn't say to us, only go and serve those when you feel like it. Because you know what that means, right? You'll never feel like it. Jesus didn't say, hey, uh, Serve those who are less fortunate, those who are in need, those who have lost hope, those who need to be loved. Jesus didn't say to do that only when everything is right in your life. When is the time to serve
1: and when does it matter the most? When you're in the storm, right along with the folks who've lost hope. Paul's consistent message throughout the book of Acts is that God
0: is pursuing humanity with reconciliation. I know that some of you have not put your faith in Jesus yet. I know that.
1: Isn't it is an amazing thing that people like Paul and John and Peter and James and all
0: countless numbers of people down through history have risked their lives, have been beaten, spat upon, maligned, burned at the stake, thrown in the lion's pit, ripped to shreds by armies and militaries. Have you ever stopped to wonder why it is that that continues to happen today? There are people all over the globe today who are risking everything for the gospel of Jesus. There are people sitting in prisons today because of their faith in Jesus. And if you're lost, you have to wonder something, right? I hope that you would, that you would be curious about something. What would pursue? What would, what would possess a person to go through what Paul did, or, or what we see some of the women going through, some of the other men all down through history that have laid down their life, what would possess a person to do that? What would be the reason that a person would be willing to suffer to such degree?
1: Well, it's because their hope is somewhere beyond this world, right? And then Paul, and all that he went through, God
0: had called him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Guess who that includes? You and I. That Paul suffered so that we, we, could hear the good news of the gospel. That, that Paul would be led under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write the book of Romans. And in that book, he would spell out very clearly what it means to follow Jesus by faith. To say that we are, we are lost, undone, in our sins, unable to fix ourselves. That, that in our mouths is the, vi- the venom of, of hatred in Romans chapter 3. Only, only for Paul to then say that there is new life in Christ and to map out clearly and concisely what it means to come from death and the life. Paul endured all that and many, 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 many more like him so that you and I could hear the gospel. So lost person, let me ask you,
1: if you're watching online, if you're here today, all of that, God did all of that so that you could hear? That God did all of that so that he could, he could draw you to himself? That that, that that moment inside of you
0: where the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, you know you're lost, you know you need to put your faith in Jesus, that all of this
1: has been done so that you could hear and you could respond. That's incredible, isn't it? That God loves you that much. Secondly,
0: we as a church body have to be agents of hope. We've got to be. Right now we need to be. It's time to stand into that. It's time to step into that arena. It's time to, to quit hiding in the shadows But we've we've got to step into the arena where there is a storm going on. And yes, you may get a response from people that's not so kind, but you've got to stand up, just as Paul did, among the people around you and offer hope. You've got to do it. Who else is going to do it? Who else has the
1: hope that you've got? Nobody does if they've not put their faith in Jesus. You've got it. you just got to have the courage to step in and provide hope. You know there is no Acts twenty nine. Have you ever noticed that? There is no Acts
0: twenty nine. I wish there was because the book of Acts, Luke just kind of leaves us hanging here, doesn't he? I love the, what happens next. Well, we get a little indication in Second Timothy of what happens, but there, there seems to be that there, there needs to be this Acts twenty nine. Well, guess who? Guess where Acts twenty nine is? Guess what? Acts twenty nine is. It's you. It's me. There's a reason Luke was led by the Holy Spirit to end the book of Acts the way that he did. It's because there is no end to the book of Acts. It's continuing on. The mission is still the same. The Great Commission is still the same. And the consistency
1: that we saw with Peter and James, John, Paul, that endurance, that love of the gospel, that's
0: to be carried on today, regardless of what storm we face as a nation. Regardless of what storm you're facing as a family, regardless of what storm we're facing as a community, we are Acts twenty-nine. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter twelve, verse ten. This is after he talks about that thorn in the flesh. He says this: For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions,
1: and calamities, for when I am weak. Then I am strong. You see, it's in the middle of that storm where you feel the weakest. That's where God wants to use you the most. We
0: think that when we get out of the storm, then God can use us. No, God wants to use us right in the middle of this national storm we're in. Your home, the storm you're in at home, whatever it is, the storm your marriage is, God's wanting to use you right there in that place because it's when you're weak. It's when you feel the pressures. It's when you see the storm and all that it has. It's in that moment that God wants to use you. You know why? Because you have to rely on him. And then he gets to glory for it. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the book of Acts, for Luke's diligence in recording all that happened. But Father, what we see over and over again is a commitment to the gospel, a commitment to endure, a commitment, Lord, to, to follow through with what you've called us to do and what you've called us to be. So, Father, help us as a church to be Acts 29, to make disciples, to be faithful with the gospel, to be
1: agents of hope, to serve those around us in unconditional love. And may you be glorified by it. For
0: anyone out there this morning who's watching, thought they had the opportunity right there as they're watching the the service this morning they have the opportunity to tap into a box right down there underneath their screen they have the opportunity to respond maybe to respond and accept jesus christ by faith believing returning from their old life Father, i pray that as they watch this morning that they would respond by topping into that box i need jesus I, I need to know what steps i need to take next to surrender my life to him and father for others who are watching online this morning maybe they have a storm they're going through. And Father, I pray and invite them to to top into that box and there'll be somebody that'll be willing to pray with them and we'll follow up with them and lift them up. In this building this morning, Father, whatever response needs to happen right now in this place, above all, we ask, Father, that this church, Hyde Park, would be Acts 29. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.